Well, thank you. That was perfect for what we're going to be doing today. How do you guys like the new lighting back here? Pretty nice, huh? So thanks to the, all those who worked on that. Um, I like it that uh, the, um, the praise group, Ivan and Marco and Eric helped out. I like that they have these ideas. Um, they come at me faster than I can keep track. <laughs> I get ideas from a lot of people, and I like that. Um, we want to make sure that what we're doing is always for God's honor and God's glory. Amen. I want to take a moment to just talk to you about, we're going to look at, and one last time here, the, uh, the series that I started back in beginning of January on being a servant of God. One of my aims, one of the purposes was that uh, we needed to get some more people committed into taking some study groups and manning them or facilitating them. So uh, here, let me just kind of, there is a list that's going to be in the back and we can ask uh, Vanessa later. I think she put it on the bulletin board. I don't know if you saw the bulletin board out there. But we now have some, some established um, classes, adult Bible study classes, also the uh, children's and the, and, the, and the babies. So let me just kind of go over it real quick. Um, we didn't have all this at the turn of the, of the new year. We were coming out of COVID and stuff was kind of just not, not really reorganized. We kind of reorganized. So uh, the Bible study groups, we're going to see, for instance, the young adults um, uh, on Sunday. This was led by uh, uh, Vanessa, but Michael and Sammy, um, they're going to uh, be leading that. It's after this service at 11 every Sunday for young adults. Um, men's Bible study um, in English. Uh, it's going to be led by, um, by Gerald, Brother Gerald. So just to make you aware, men uh, in English, we're going to have that Bible study um, the first and third Monday of the month. But that's also just saying the schedule uh, once we meet the first time. So that's going to be the first Monday. When is that, by the way? Well, not tomorrow, but the following Monday will be the first Monday of, of February. So be planning on being here at 6.30 with uh, Brother Gerald. Uh, he, uh, from, from what I'm reading here, he's going to be using uh, a, a study called The Measure of a Man. The Women's Bible Study in English, this is English, is going to be led by Maria um, Ramirez, and that's also the first and third uh, Bible study. She's chosen to use the purpose-driven life. She says she's done it before, and it's been a blessing, so... She's going to be leading that one. Then there's the uh, Wednesday, what we would call midweek Bible study. That's led by yours truly. Uh, it's a Spanish and English uh, Wednesday night Bible study. I'll be leading that. And it's by, by different subjects. That, uh, right now we're doing uh, the greatest stories ever told and looking at different stories in the Bible and people in the Bible. And so far, I think that's been a real blessing. Amen. Looking at stuff like uh, Gideon, and we've been looking at, for instance, uh, uh, last week um, we took a peek at, what did we do last week? I already forgot. <laughs> anyway, different studies of the Bible. Then men's, men's Bible study in Spanish, Rodolfo uh, took uh, that uh, group, and we had our first meeting this Friday at 6.30. So he's, uh, uh, he's doing that one, and then also we have the Bible study for women, led by Lorena, the second Friday of every month at 6.30. So you're going to have this posted outside. Take a photo of it. Everybody has their phone now. Just take a picture. Now, what about here on, uh, for the, for the pre-K to high school? So um, this is this, uh, 11 o'clock. The pre-K to kinders led by Monica and Gabriela. Lorena's leading first to sixth grade group. Seventh and eighth is by Yolanda. Thank you, Yolanda. And then ninth to twelfth is Maria Ramirez. Uh, do have an announcement. Maria's not going to be able to make it today, so uh, she she's, uh, apologized. 
So, but that study uh, will continue next week and so on and so forth. So if you need more information, it should be hanging out there. Take a photo of it and then you know where to go. So this is the kind of stuff that we were trying to motivate in this group. Get organized, have our classes, and then pray for the Lord to fill them. Amen? There's potential also because I have, uh, for instance, George wants to uh, teach a class. So we're, George and I are talking about uh, what we're going to do. Possibilities, we don't have an English uh, adult, young adult Bible study like we used to. So that may be a, uh, an opening there. Uh, but, uh, we, we have people wanting to serve, and that's the point. Amen? Uh, as a pastor, uh, one thing I've learned, especially when you're part of a small church, uh, the tendency is just to kind of throw it all on him. You know, hey, pastor, you do that. Uh, hey, pastor, you teach this. And that's all fine. I've done it for like 16, going on 17 years. And we also have others that have stepped in. You know, really interesting that usually in a church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We need to break that up a little bit. We need to make it more even and everybody involved in some kind of ministry. Uh, no doubt, uh, as you can see, um, the, the work that's being done by, the, by people who have been in their heart to, to do something to make the church look better, feel better, be more welcoming, amen. Can't say anything or just... Thanking the Lord for our Spanish worship team. Uh, if you haven't stuck around afterwards, uh, what a delight. And then, of course, uh, uh, thank you for the worship team in English um, that leads and prepares our hearts for what the Lord has in the sermon. Everything matters in a church. Amen? Uh, we have all of these things going on because we're servants of the Most High Jesus Christ, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. We should do it always uh, with love in our hearts, with joy in our hearts, uh, understanding it's a privilege, understanding it's an honor to serve Him, always striving to do our best. The Lord deserves our best, right? I mean, if your boss asks for you to do your best and they're paying you, how about us who have... A gift that's priceless, not that we're trying to pay the Lord back, but it's an expression of our gratitude, it's an expression of our understanding of what He has done for us, and we simply are fitting it back into His plan and His purposes for our lives. So we're going to look at this morning some closing thoughts about being a servant of God. So I want to put a verse up on the on screen uh, this is from Philippians 1.6. I thought I would use this to kind of get us started. And then, um, if you don't mind standing, I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Just some, a uh, little bit, uh, today I'm just going to bounce around some verses. I don't usually do that, but as a summary, if you would, of our, of our series on being a servant of God, I think we would do that. So here's a passage by Paul. To the Philippians. And uh, he starts it off in chapter 1. Establishing this truth. To this, this church that he founded. And he says something here that's really powerful. Always has been to me. An encouragement. To know that this is what God has to say to us. Not just. His work in our lives of salvation. Because once we become saved, then we move into another process called sanctification, and that is a lifelong process where God is setting us apart more and more for His exclusive use. Amen? For His purposes, for His kingdom. So let me read this. this is Paul saying, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about it some more, but let's pray. Father, bless our sermon this morning. Bless your word this morning. Let it be the Holy Spirit, Father, who is speaking to us. Let it be the Holy Spirit, Lord, that's dealing with our hearts. Correct us, Lord, if we need it. Encourage us, Lord, if we need it. Give us, Father, a, a, a road map 
a lamp to our feet so that we're standing on the solid rock, Lord, in our relationship and our walk with you. And let it always be focused on who Jesus is and what he's asking of us as his disciples, as believers in the good news of the gospel, Father. We thank you. Bless our time in his precious name. Amen. One of the things that I think is, you may have a seat, Paul, and he deals with this church at the beginning of this letter, he's saying, and I like the word, I am sure of this. What does that tell you when Paul says he's sure of something? He's talking about having confidence. The salvation and the gift that we've received, and then we'd have to ask ourselves, what is that good work that he began in us? He's talking about God's work of salvation that he began in us. Amen? Amen. He began it. It's the only way it can begin. Because the Bible is clear about that. Before we came to Christ, Romans says that we were dead in sins and trespasses. What can a dead body do? Nothing. Just lays there. That's the condition we were in, spiritually speaking. The Bible's very clear that he quickened us, that the Holy Spirit came into our lives and began to deal with us, and he gave us life, right? So that work that God has begun in us, Paul's saying, I'm confident, I'm sure of this. He's not saying, and I sure hope that, you know, whatever the Lord started in me, that he's going to be able to complete it. Man, I'm kind of, kind of confident. You know, I'm like, depending where you are personally, I'm like, you know, 75% sure of this, you know. I got my doubts. No, there, there's none of that. There's, this, there's a, uh, a completion that's going to be brought into our lives. God always finishes what he starts. So if that's the case for salvation, because that's the main point here, that salvation, what's the gift, uh, what's the good work that began in us? He's talking about the work of salvation in our lives. He's very confident that God is going to finish it, and he's not only going to finish it, he's going to perfect it until what? The day of Jesus Christ. He's going to bring it to completion, which points to the day when we meet Christ. I don't know about you, but I like this verse because if I'm going to commit myself to it and to Christ, I want to know, I want to have that security that he's going to bring it to pass. It's not a, I wonder if, I wonder how. It's a work he began and a work he's going to complete. Isn't that encouraging? So when we look at serving God, now that we're saved, because salvation brings us into his plans and purposes, and the purposes and plans of the Lord that we've been talking about is serving him. So whatever capacity you serve him, whatever way you're a servant to him, bringing your gifts, bringing your abilities, your knowledge, your time, your resources, whatever it is you bring into it, God's going to bring it to completion. It's another way of saying there's no risk. It's guaranteed. If I were to have you sign a contract and I would give you a guarantee, you're more likely to jump on board. In some companies and some uh, Enterprises, that's what they do. They have you sign a contract so that you feel more secure. They guarantee, quote, unquote, uh, a time frame or a salary. Well, we're not talking about that in this case. We're talking about God bringing to completion. I remember God's call to my life when I was younger. And it didn't happen immediately for me. But one of the verses that has kept me in the game... And one, of the, and one of the verses is going to keep you serving, 
keep you walking, keep you looking forward to the next day and the following week and month and years is this verse. He will finish what he started. Who will finish it? He who began a good work in you will bring it. You don't even have to worry about how it's going to be done. You just need to make the step of faith, the commitment. He'll bring it to completion. See, because everybody in Christ, everybody talks about what we should do. You know? We should be saved. We should do this. We should do that. I'm not really too worried about what we should do. I, I agree. The question is how? How do we do it? Yeah. Simple. The Lord will do it. What we need to do is get out of the way and join him in what he's doing. So we're participating with him. And he says if we make that commitment by faith, see, because we don't even get into this relationship outside of faith. We make the decision to follow him, he will take us to the finish line. Right? I'll be talking about the race in a minute in another passage. So another verse that I want us to look at, I think it's interesting because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, the same book, he says, For it is God who works. Okay, we just read about he will bring it to completion, that good work that he began in us. Now, Paul says it, it is God who works in you. Are you aware that it is God that's working in you? The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus to his disciples. The Spirit of truth, the comforter, the helper, whatever translation you have, the original idea from the Greek was one who would walk alongside you. Perakletos is the word in Greek. He promised that. So God's working in us through the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit began to work with you and deal with you? This is pre-Christ times. I remember, in spite of the fact that I was raised in a Christian home, Christian parents, Christian testimony and examples all my life, but you can't be saved because your parents are. You have to make a personal decision for Christ. The Lord doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. Because each one of us have to come to Christ in a personal decision but that personal decision can never happen because no man comes to Christ except my Father draws him. And when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart, you may not even know it's him. But what he does over time is he brings you eventually to the truth, to his word, and then to a place where he asks of you to make a decision in favor of the good news of the gospel of salvation. He brings us to that place with the work of the Holy Spirit. So it is God who works, who works in you both to do two things. To will and to do for his good pleasure. That, that's an interesting verse. The willing, the willingness, the desire, and the work or the serving is not something we do for God. It's what God does through us. Okay? The will, to, the wanting to, the work, right? The willing and the working. Isn't it say that they're willing and the work, right? They both come from God. And whenever God calls us to do something, we can rely on his help. Okay? So when God calls us, if you hear his voice, you go, man, that's really weird. The pastor was talking about a certain thing today, and it kind of like, I felt like it was for me. What's he been doing? Stalking me? 
No, I haven't been stalking you. The Holy Spirit has been following you. He knows where you live. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. And he knows what he wants to do with your life. You would continue to go down the path to destruction had he not intervened, had he not stepped into your life and changed your path, nudged you over, woke, opened your eyes. It's It's a work of the Lord doing this. So God calls us, but he's the one who gives us the will and the work, and he does it for his good pleasure, right? The willing and the working both come from God. So what we should be praying for is, Lord, give me the desire, give me the willingness, because my nature as a sinner is not to do your will, it's to resist your will, it's to rebel against your will. So now that I know you, give me that willingness, that desire to do your purposes. And it always works better when God's the one that's moving and directing your steps and your path. He would never call us otherwise. Amen? So I like that because you say, well, how do I do this? You don't. He does. You just allow him. You yield. You submit. There's all kinds of words in the Bible about you surrender. You know, we hear the great gospel song, I surrender all. You choose by your free will, volition, once you understand, once you feel God's call into your heart, you say yes. You say yes. And you go, good, I can use what you have. Whatever that may be, because it's unique to each and every one of us. All the gifts vary. There's a variety of gifts in the church. God wouldn't give us all this same gift, and then what good would we we'd be stumbling all over each other? All of us have a different piece. We're a different tool. We're a different instrument. He can use us as a channel, but we have to be willing. And that will is only possible through Him. See, a lot of people are just trying to will themselves. No, you just die to self and say, Lord, you work in me. See, the born-again experience We don't talk about it enough. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and he wanted to know how to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you must be born again. He never gave him a list of things to do. And he's coming as a Jew. He knew the law. He's actually, hey, what do I have to do? There's nothing you can do. You have to have a heart transplant. He gives us a new heart. That new heart allows you to perform in a way that's pleasing to him. So there are good works in the Christian life. But the good works don't save us. They show us we're saved. They're proof. The fruit of the Spirit is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's His fruit, not ours. And the Christianity gets stuck there all the time. How do I do it? You don't do it. He does it through you. He gives you a new heart. The, Paul says, we are new creatures. The old is what? Passed away. Right? That's why there's so many analogies in the Bible of taking up your cross, surrendering. The old Robert died at Calvary's cross when Jesus died in my place. The new one rises up. That's why baptism is such an important obedience step. We're showing that we know that we died with Christ. He died for us that day. And we rise out of the water to walk in new life. You don't do it. He does it through you. But you have to be willing to say yes and surrender. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do How do we do it, Pastor? How do we do it? How do we do it? You don't. He does. You just surrender. You just yield. You submit yourself to him. And he does the rest. Next verse. I told you I was going to go through a bunch. Kind of just tie all this together. So in this verse, uh, Paul's talking to the Thessalonians. 
And he says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Huh. So God calls us. Why does he need to call us? Because like a shepherd calling his sheep, he needs to direct us. He needs to give us words of life. But my sheep hear my voice and they what? And they follow me. So there was a time in our lives, and I'm trying to get you to see and to look back and wonder about, wow, I, I do remember that I, I heard his call to my heart. I heard it. Some people have told me that one day they're driving down the freeway and they see a billboard, an advertisement. And instead of the advertisement, and instead of the purpose of the advertisement, they actually felt that it was God talking to them. Or that someone came up to them and said something or did something and they're like, it was a perfect timing and perfect way. And they were like, wow, the Lord's speaking to me. He calls us. Remember the knock? Remember? Robert. Samuel gets up in an example of the Bible. He was in the temple. The whole story there with Hannah, his mother, had made a commitment to God that if she would have a child, she prayed for one because she was not able to have one. And he said, hey, if I have one, I'm going to... I'm going to commit him to the temple, to the service, to your service. And so Samuel's born, and what a great day that was for Hannah. And then the day came when he was in the temple, and all of a sudden the Lord started calling him, Samuel. He never had heard his voice before. They're like, what? Oh, and he runs to Eli, the high priest. Hey, uh, sir, he's a young boy. He's an older man. No, I didn't call you. Uh, go, go lay down. Here's his name again, Samuel. He gets up again, he runs to Eli, and he goes, you called? No. But the next time you hear it, because Samuel recognized it was the Lord, say, here I am. Yes, Lord. God's calling. We're so busy. We're so distracted. We're so burdened with the things of this world, we can't hear his voice. He's calling. And this is the tragic thing of that verse. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. He's called a lot of people, but they never answer. So he can't choose them. We'll talk a little bit more about having been chosen on another occasion. But it works first with the call. Do you have the, quote, spiritual antennas to hear his voice? Of course, nobody uses antennas anymore. There's little rabbit ears on your TV. Do you have the necessary router to hear his voice? He's calling, and so... Samuel responds, and then the Lord, of course, starts a whole lifetime of service for the prophet Samuel, who God used greatly in Israel. He's the one who anointed David. So he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Do what? Do whatever he calls you to do. Right? So the God who calls also brings those whom he calls to an understanding of why they were called. He's faithful. We can never accuse God of not being faithful. What I'm trying to do this morning is to show you what a wonderful opportunity it is to be a Christian. But the biblical way and an understanding that there is a role we have in all of this, and it's called believing, and it's called faith. We act upon what he tells us. But everything else is his job. <coughs> the next one I love, 
We'll look at this next verse. And it says something interesting in Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts, so God's giving out gifts. He's spreading out. He's sharing gifts to us. And the calling we already talked about are what? Irrevocable. <clears throat> he didn't call you by mistake. He doesn't gift you by mistake. He doesn't say, oh, I gave you a gift. Oh, I want it back. No, you will have to answer to his call and to what you did with his gifts. See, people want to ask and Christians when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, which is really not a judgment. It's more of a reward stage. It's the Bema seat, which means it's what the Olympic winners of races would go to, and they would give them first prize, second prize, third prize, whatever. He's going to ask us what we did with the gospel. He's going to ask us what we did with the gifts that he gave us. Nothing. I'm like the talents where one of them hit it in the ground, but the others multiplied it. They all kinds of reasons or things will happen. But to the one who hit it and did nothing, he, he chastised them. He condemned them. The ones, uh, ones who did something with it and multiplied it. And ultimately, some arguments, and I've read a lot of stuff, and that's all just for information. What is a talent? And I thought to myself, not talents like in abilities. There, there, were, there, were, uh, there were coins. There were metals. There were precious metals that they were given. There were weights. Talents had a certain weight and a certain value. And they could go and earn more money with it. But what would that... It's not, God's not telling us to just use our resources or our money for the kingdom. He is, but not in that context. What could be the greatest gift we could ever have received? Well, the one that gives you eternal life. The gospel. The plan of salvation. The redemptive work of Christ is the greatest gift we could ever receive because... It saves us from our sins. It saves us from condemnation. It saves us from hell where we were headed until he broke into our lives with this gift that he offers us freely and we accepted it and now we're going to heaven. There is no greater gift than the gospel. There is no greater gift than God's word that leads us to Christ. What did you do with it? You know? What do we do with it? Did we try to learn more so we could know Christ and then make him known? That's what he's going to ask. So, but God God's, says those gifts and the calling, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't take it. He's not a, you know, we used to say, uh, maybe not even politically correct anymore to say Indian giver. That used to be a term, right, back in my days. Don't mean to be offensive if that would be offensive to someone. I, I don't mean it that way. It just I'm, I come from a different generation. I do. He doesn't just give and then take back. <coughs> Man, we lose so much if we don't respond faithfully to his faithfulness. It's a great life. Thank the Lord for the gifts that he's given me and the call. And I'm telling you, I've spent many years, all my life, trying to, trying to allow that gift to just flow from me. And the beauty about it is that every single one of us are unique. Every single, single one of us have something that's special to us. And you can feel confident to just be who you are in Christ. You don't have to compete. You don't have to compare. Oh, I wish I was like Billy Graham. No, I don't want to be like Billy Graham. 
Oh, I wish I was like this person or that person or this musician. No, no, you could be you. You're unique. In the Psalms, David said that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. You can take whatever you are and use it for his glory. You know why? Because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I really like that. <coughs> Sorry, I'm a throat here is uh, scratchy this morning. What does it mean irrevocable? It means it's unconditional. It means that it's unchangeable. Irrevocable. His gifts and calling are rooted in his immutable nature. That's how he is. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And he told him that he would have a son, a descendant, that would bless all the nations of the earth. And we are tied to that covenant that God made with Abraham. And they're unchangeable. So if you, like Abraham, accept it by faith, then guess what? God can use you. And his call can make a difference. So talking about that, let's go to the next verse. There was a prophet, Jeremiah. Oh, that's kind of small. All right, you can see it. Jeremiah is a young man who was given the task of warning Israel uh, of their doom. They, they had turned from God. They were chasing after idols. They were unfaithful. So God had a plan to have Babylon sweep down into their country, destroy their temple, and take them into exile. And they did, and that's where Daniel's story comes in. In the Bible, they're in exile there. And he, he's a little bit frightened by the call. <laughs> it's like, who, me? You're calling me? I... It's like Moses, too, when he was called. Uh, uh, he, would, he would come up with, uh, I'm not a real good speaker. That's all right. You can use your brother. We can never have an excuse with God. He calls us, and he calls us. And so in Jeremiah's case, he said to him, Be, Before I formed you in the womb, <coughs> I knew you. You mean before he was born? Yeah. You know, when I learned this, wow. You mean God knew you? God knew us? You could say it out loud, God knew me before I was born? Yeah. And then all of this kind of stuff comes to really gel and it becomes really concrete. In other words, settled for me when I hear that my grandmother, who's, who's a born-again Christian evangelical in Mexico in the 1930s when it was 99% Catholic, and she had a, married a man who was a, past, a Baptist preacher that came to the United States as a missionary and then died of tuberculosis, and then she had to go back with all her children the youngest of them being my father. And in talking to her when I was in my 20s, she said that she had been praying from his death in the 30s to when I was talking to her in 1980. I had been praying for someone to step into the calling in the ministry. That's like 50 years. And I'm like, what? Because at that time I was wrestling with my calling. You see, the, all of a sudden you realize that God has called us and known us from even before our birth. So now that we're alive and here, what are we doing? It's, it's a connection to me that's so powerful. I knew before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I mean, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. See, God always prepares his servants before he calls them. And in this particular case, he knew them before he was even born. 
And this pre preparation is because someone might say, well, I'm not prepared. Yeah, you are, because he prepared you. And I'm going to tell you how. Do you realize that your very genetic structure was ordained by God? Every single cell in your body he created. And you're so unique as we, as we look at what David has to say in this next passage. <coughs> I'm going to talk to the Lord. There's a couple questions I have. One of them is this. I like hair. Jesus, sometimes I just want to grab you and take some. I'm going to ask him why I'm, I wasn't six foot. I'm not having fun with you. You have to accept who you are because he made you genetically the way he wanted you to be and there's no one else like you. Amen. Ever will be. Amen. That's a, as unique as a fingerprint is. But now they're saying that the pupil of our eyes are the even also unique. No one has the same structure. That's beautiful. And then David... Following up on the idea that God knew us before we were born, appointed us before we were born, he says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, talking about in the womb, intri uh, sorry, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. No days, and yet God formed him. God sovereignly, and this is what these kinds of passages should do for you, to know that God is sovereign. That means you know that God's in control. He's in control before you're even born. He's in, he tells us the end from the beginning. He has a plan and a purpose, and all of them will be fulfilled to the letter and to the T. And that's the God you serve. So why then we are not excited, or and you are, I just, I'm just enforcing it, to do and to be a servant for the Lord and to do and to complete his purposes. Because wow, they're unique to you. <coughs> I had nothing wrong with my throat the whole week. So God ordained David. You know, when Samuel went to go look for uh, the house, uh, David, uh, David's father's house, and he asked for the boys all to be lined up, and the Lord never gave him permission to anoint any of them, and he said, hey, do you happen to have any other sons? Said, oh yeah, David, that, that chamaco, that little that youngster, uh, he's out in the fields tending sheep. Call him. And then he said, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, that's the one. And he anointed him right then and there. He was anointed before that. You know that? That's just man. And at the point in David's life, God confirming what he had already done before he was even born. Nobody can take away what you have. Nobody can do what you can do. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for jealousy. There's no reason for any of those things because God has made you and called you for his purposes and they're going to be accomplished because we read that he's faithful. So we should be excited to serve him. Right? God watches over. And this is why uh, my position and the position of this church, why abortion is such a horrible thing, God watched providentially over the development of David in the mother's womb. And so 
What about when it, that David or that person comes out of the womb? Do you think God watches over the development of that life? Do you think God directs the path of the person called you? Yeah. He knew you before you were born. He knows you now that you are. I love this stuff. He watches over us on earth. And we're to trust him. My favorite verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. We place ourselves in his hands. Because he calls us to his hands. And we say yes, and he will direct us. So, one last verse here. I'm going to wrap this up. This is a life verse for me. It's in Philippians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul. He had accepted his apostleship. He was sent to the Gentiles to be the preacher to the Gentiles. And he says this in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. You see it up on the screen. I like the imagery here. I like how he uses the analogy of a race. Because we're in a race. Like a marathon. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. So he was speaking earlier in these verses to wanting to experience what it was, the sufferings of Christ. What it is, the purposes of Christ for his life. And he says, I haven't obtained it yet or have already arrived at my goal. None of us have already attained or arrived at our goal. You guys know that. When do we arrive to our goal? When we get to the finish line. So all of us, this is where we're at. We're in the race, is what he's using in an analogy. Where I press, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Powerful verses. What's he doing? He presses, is like a runner. He's pressing, he's moving forward. He's not looking back. He's forgotten the things that are in the past, but he presses toward the, the prize, the, the goal. What's the prize? Jesus is the prize. And whatever his purposes are for your life, you're, you're, you're serving him. I press on, on, to take hold. I'm going to take a hold of the reason he took a hold of me. You see that? I want to take a hold of the reason he took a hold of me. Don't you want to know why? Don't you want to live that perfect life that he designed for you? Apprehend is in the King James. I, I want to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Here they use lay hold. Same thing, different word. We want to grab the reason for which we were grabbed. That's what he's saying here. And hold, take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, Paul would say, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of. None of us have arrived. None of us can retire. None of us can sit uh, high above everyone else and go, oh, God, oh, you guys, you haven't reached like where I am. No one has reached that point. Because when you do, you're, you're called home. So this is... What Paul has to say. I haven't taken a hold of it yet. Neither have we. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. And straining toward what is ahead. Two reasons why Paul would need to forget what's behind. Number one. If he thinks about how he was responsible. For persecuting. And even at a level. Conspiring with the death of Stephen. All that guilt that he mentions a lot in his epistles. You could sit there and feel guilty the rest of your life and not move forward. It would paralyze you. So he has a past, but he says, even that past, that evil that I was part of, I forget it. 
forgiven in Christ. But also he was a man with many letters and a great education at the best school of theology and the best theologians, uh, Gamiel, of the age. And he was a Benjamite and he was a Pharisee and he talked about all these things that he were, but he says, ultimately, I, I, I don't look at those things anymore. They don't matter. What's the problem with, with, with settling with our laurels or looking at our success? We're paralyzed there too. So whether it's good, whether it's bad, they could hold us back from reaching forward. This is a man who had it, as far as a Jew is concerned, he was a Jew of Jew and a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a man's man. But he says, I don't care, I forget that too. So neither my failures will paralyze me, neither will my successes, because there's something greater in front of me, the prize. What is it? Let's look at it. I press, verse 14, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's a sprinter in a race, and he's racing toward Jesus. And as we race toward Jesus, we're racing toward being more Christ-like. And so his ultimate purpose here is to reach that place one day, where we can hear him say, enter into my kingdom, you good and faithful servant. That's, our, that's, a, that's what we're here for. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. I hope, I pray, and of course, the work is the Lord's in your heart, that we as a church can understand that when we're busy about the Father's business, he's going to use us for the honor and glory of his son, Jesus Christ. That's all that should concern us. It's Jesus' honor and Jesus' glory. The kingdom. The kingdom. We're servants in a kingdom. God richly bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. My prayer, Lord, is that you will take these passages that we looked at today and hopefully, Father, and prayerfully we ask that you apply them into the hearts of your people. Each one of these dealing with the greatest of prizes, and that's knowing Christ. And if we know him correctly, if we know the truth, and we have his love in our hearts, then we're able to minister, then we're able to serve, then we're able to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. And that's our prayer, Lord, for Crosspoint Community Church and for each family and each individual, Lord, that we would understand why we're here and that we would take it upon ourselves, Lord, to strive to make an effort, Lord, to do the things that are pleasing to you. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.